This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Dixon again. That's a Minotti with the acrobatics. It falls for Smith. Oh! A superb goal for Alan Smith. Just what Arsenal wanted. Smith seizes the opportunity. And that's football for you. Brolin hits the inside of the post, it stays out. Smith does, it goes in, and Arsenal are in front. Hello and welcome to this week's In Lockdown, brought to you by Lavazza. I'm Josh James. Today we're turning the clock back and catching up with Alan Smith, twice a league champion in 1989 and 1991 and still one of our all-time leading goalscorers. Stay tuned at the end of the show as well because I'll be telling you who next week's guest is. So Alan, first of all, thanks a lot for joining us today. When you did arrive at Arsenal, they didn't really have a reputation at that point for strikers, certainly not in the recent history. They'd been really searching for a reliable number nine for a few years at that point. So did you feel that pressure going into the club and and a lot of expectation on you, wasn't there, at the time? Yeah. I mean, that day that I signed, I remember having put my name on the dotted line, Steve Burtonshaw gave me a tour of Highbury and, and we went out onto the pitch. And, and I'll never forget, he took me out uh, to the centre spot and... Uh, He's gone, Alan, Alan, a lot of centre-forwards have come here with number nine on the back, but not many have been able to succeed. And I thought, oh my God, what have I let myself in for here? And, and I, I kind of found out what he meant a few weeks later when we'd gone three games without a win. We'd lost to Liverpool on the opening day and then we had Man United and QPR. Three games without a win. And I'm sat in the treatment room the following week, and I've picked up the Sun newspaper, and on the back it's headline, uh, Arsenal go for Kerry Dixon, who was Chelsea's chief goal-getter at the time. They go for Kerry Dixon because Alan Smith has failed to impress. And I thought, wow, three games. Three games. I thought, yeah. God, this is the difference between Leicester and Arsenal. And, and you know, you felt, you felt that 
scrutiny and that pressure to perform, not just in matches, but in training as well. You, you're competing against better players. The standard's been uh, hiked up and you know that you have to respond. Thankfully, uh, on the fourth game, I got a hat-trick against Portsmouth and it kind of got me got me going. But um, you could tell straight away the difference between um, a club like Leicester, a provincial club, where, of course... You're expected to do well, etc. But if if you went three or four games without scoring, not a lot would be said. Whereas at Arsenal, you know the uh, the, the headlights were on you, so to speak. The uh, the criticism wasn't was never far away. But as you said, that that hat trick sort of kick started you, and you you top scored that season. I think you got 16 in all competitions. And then next season is is the one that obviously everything fell into place for Arsenal and for you as well. And you scored a hat-trick on the opening day of the 89 season, didn't you? So do you think that was really what, what set the tone? I think you got did you get 13 goals in your in your opening 10 games. I mean, it must have been one of the best spells of your career, was it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was one of those I felt like I was going to score every time I touched the ball, you know. Never mind about every time I went out onto the pitch. Um, fantastic for any striker to to get a hat-trick on the opening day. And um, i never forget the... Uh, the press boys, the newspaper uh, writers were waiting for me outside the uh, dressing room at Player Lane, Wimbledon's decrepit old ground. And yeah. they were saying, Alan, you know, fantastic start. You must fancy yourself for the golden boot this year. And I went, oh, no, no, I don't think so. I'm not that sort of player. I'm back back to goal, holding it up. I said, Tony Cotty, I see you got a hat-trick today as well for Everton. I said, he's more likely to win the golden boot than me um, because he was kind of a poacher. But... That, that, that's the way I felt about things. So the fact that I did actually end up getting it was an amazing um, surprise to me and, and, you know, great, great pleasure. Uh, but, yeah, I went on a real streak. I don't know the longest I went without scoring that season. It was only about, it was only three or four games, I think. I didn't have any kind of gaps. It, it was great. When you're in that kind of mood as a striker, the, the game feels so easy. And uh, that's how it was in that campaign. And then just at the end, it seemed that it had all slipped away, didn't it? The, the title seemed to be in our grasp. And then, as as everyone knows, we had to go to Anfield in the end to win by two goals. So there must have been mixed emotions. Did you feel, oh, we've come so close, but this but this is it. This is as close as it's mm. going to be. What were your emotions? I'm thinking maybe just after the Wimbledon game and when you think, oh, look at it now, it's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I never forget um, doing a lap of honour after the Wimbledon game, as you do at the end of uh, the last home game of the season. Thank the fans, and there was that kind of atmosphere. Well, we gave it our best shot. Sorry, it wasn't quite good enough, and the fans applauded us and congratulated us on our efforts. And that kind of feeling in the stadium. We went back to the dressing room. I think the chairman came down as he would do at the end of each season. You very rarely saw. Peter Hill would, unless we'd won something or we were in trouble <laughs> at yeah. the end of the season. And uh, he congratulated us. I mean, the Gafford, it wasn't like we were giving up, but we were deflated. And we all went home that night, you know, feeling really disappointed as if we've let it slip out of the net. We were mm. in a dominant position. And then after the turn of the new year, Liverpool have gone on a, an amazing unbeaten run and we've dropped points. And you're thinking, oh, God, you know, what might have been if we could have held it together? But when, when the maths were done, when, when Liverpool played West Ham and then it was worked out that we had to win by two, two clear goals, then you start thinking, well, why not? Why not? Well, we can give it a shot. What have we got to lose? 
But for you, as the leading scorer, as the focal point, the number nine of the team going for the title, there must have been a bit of, we need to score at least two goals, therefore I'm going to have to score. I mean, you, did you feel that this is this is down to me, a lot of this is down to me? Well, yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, but that's where George came in, where he did ever so well, because if you feel you've got to win by two goals, you're thinking, oh, ha, ha, where are these goals going to come from? But George's main point of his team talks at the hotel then in the dressing room was the clean sheet Mm. he said lads don't worry about scoring we will get the goals but if we concede a goal then we've got to get three and you can forget it he said as long as we keep a clean sheet we're always in the game we're always in the hunt and that kind of eased our minds a little bit took the pressure off to think oh okay okay we know how to keep clean sheets you know the back four uh, or back five as as it was that night we had some terrific defenders obviously so that sent us out with clear minds and we weren't just constantly thinking about trying to get a goal. i never forget, I was going for the golden boot before the game and this was maybe a, a sign of nerves in the Liverpool dressing room. John Aldridge was uh, competing with me for the golden boot and the Adidas representative poked his head around our dressing room and asked if I'd do a little presentation on the pitch with, with John beforehand. You know, this is the shootout for the golden boot. And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, no problem. And then, he came back and said, oh, John doesn't want to do it. He's changed his mind. And I said, OK, fair enough. And then he came back five minutes later and said, no, no, actually, John will do it. And then he came back again. He said, no, John, no, John definitely doesn't want to do it. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow. Yeah, as I say, maybe that's just a reflection of the Liverpool dressing room, uncertain as to what was... Because, uh, you know, if you can imagine, you can win the league by losing 1-0. It's a strange mm. old situation, whereas... Mm our task was a lot clearer. And then you scored the, the first goal, obviously, that night. Um, a glanced-in header, which obviously you know you touched and uh, we all know you did, but the Liverpool players were adamant that you hadn't and, and ran over to try to get the goal disallowed, remonstrating with the linesman. Even though you know you'd got a touch on it, did you feel, oh, here we go, here we go, this is not going to be given at Anfield? Yeah, I thought it definitely disallowed. As you say, the Anfield crowd, Bain at the ref for it to be disallowed. You've got all those big names, big voices crowded round. Ronnie Whelan and Gary Ablett, Alan Hansen and Steve McMahon, you know, they're all getting in the ref and the linesman's ears. We just had David O'Leary there, I think, uh, kind of putting our version of events. We're just watching them chatting. So when the ref was pointed to the centre circle, we, we, we couldn't believe it, I think. Couldn't believe it and we've all jogged back, in, back into position and it was a deafening crowd from the start, really, but the volume seemed to increase then. There was like this frenetic scream from the home fans and our fans were going mad up in the corner. There was this nervousness, you know, amongst the Liverpool supporters, rousing, trying to rouse the players because they just weren't performing at that time. They weren't themselves and we could sense that. Mm. So it was game on, obviously. Game on. All we needed was one goal. And then that that goal came, which was probably the most famous goal in the club's history, and probably in you know in English football's history with Michael Thomas, as everyone knows, deep into injury time, scoring the goal. And you played your part with the with the assist, but deep down, would you have wished it was the other way around? Uh, oh, I don't know. I mean, I've got to be satisfied with my with my contribution on the night. I always like to think of myself as a team player. Um, we didn't used to count assists back then, but I think I used to rack up a few. So. I was pleased with the part I played, my touch and turn and pass. All the lads describe it as going into slow motion and, and that's the way I felt as well because 
I think partly because nobody really could get in support of Mickey. He was 10, 15 yards ahead. I was jogging behind, uh, just watching it all unfold and seeing these red shirts converging on him from left and right and just feeling that they were going to tackle him, get a toe in. So you're just begging for Mickey to do things quickly, which he never did, really. He always did things in his own time. He was he was a stubborn man if he wanted to be, and, and that served its purpose brilliantly on the night because he was just waiting to grobbler to make his move before Mickey made his and uh, he timed it to perfection Ray Houghton's boot was about half a millimetre away from getting a, a toe on that ball you know and so when he when he's flicked it in it's it's just chaos bedlam we've we've gone to Mickey and then quickly gone to our fans but the ref's saying get back you know there's still a bit of time left get back into your own half and even then you're, you're fearing that Liverpool might score and they did go down our end Mickey brought the ball out the sky and tapped it back to John Lukic. And and I remember when Lukey got the ball in his hands, he wasn't going to throw it this time like he did to Lee for the goal. I remember thinking, it's coming my way. And as long as I can stop my man, I think I think it was Alan Hansen marking me. As long as I can stop him from getting a firm header back upfield, whether I flick it on or just allow it to drift over us, I think we've won the league here. And, and it did kind of, I might have got a slightest of glances, but it's gone over our heads and, towards the corner and Groves has chased it and that's when the whistle's gone so it was just quite unbelievable feeling at that at that moment and you know for the moments that followed on the pitch in the dressing room and on the coach on the way back and ever since really whenever you think about that <laughs> that match it just it, you just can't believe it you just can't believe it happened and the film that was made 89 did a fantastic job of delivering the drama and and then two years later, Arsenal win the league again, and this time losing just once all season. Do you feel that that team was, was underrated? I mean, just how good was that team when you when you look back at your career and the teams you played in? That 91 team must be right up there, mustn't it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, it was a more mature team than the 89 one. I've got so much affection for that 89 outfit because it was all new to us, really. Um, but... Uh, you know, we we were a year or two more experienced, wiser. We knew um, what it took to, you know, sustain a, a title challenge. And I, I don't remember there being too much talk about us going through the entire season unbeaten. I don't know, maybe there was at the time. But at the end of that year, once we'd won the title, I remember the newspapers saying Arsenal set to dominate for the next 10 years as new newspapers tend to do, and it never turns out that way. We look at Liverpool now, and or we looked at Manchester City with their riches, and you're thinking, well, how's any anybody ever going to overturn them? And Liverpool have found a way, and somebody else will find a way to overturn Liverpool. But we should have we should have continued it uh, for whatever reason. It, it didn't it didn't carry on. But um, yeah, we were we were a really good team, and history has has shown how difficult it is to to do what we did just the one game. And that, that was Chelsea away when Tony Adams was uh, was in the nick and uh, Baldy got injured, I think. And so we had a makeshift um, defence. So we, we, we were disappointed. Of course we were. And very disappointed when Spurs beat us in the semi. But we were second best that day by quite some distance, really. We didn't get going. And they were pumped up, led by Gaza, uh, and deservedly won. Yeah, we got our revenge a couple of years later. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. But just back to that season, the um, you won the Golden Boot again, the second time in three seasons. And we spoke about Arsenal not really having a, a reputation of um, strikers that did that. And you were the first Arsenal player ever to win it twice. How much did it mean to you? I know you said earlier when, when the journalist suggested you might win it at the start of that 89 season, you were like, I don't, I don't think that's going to be me. But it, it must have meant a lot to you, didn't it, to be twice in three years to prove that that, that 89 season was, was no one-off and that you could do it again? It did. It means it even more now, looking back, really. Um, and you see the list of the great strikers, and my name's down there twice. Incredible. I have to pinch myself, really, because, um, as I say, I was that kind of back-to-goal, back centre-forward, target-man type. I just didn't think that would happen. But, I mean, listen, it's even better when it serves a purpose, when it leads to silverware, which it obviously did in those in those two seasons so it's uh, it's even more satisfying to have to have those golden boots and to see uh, to see what they helped to achieve so everything's going going right at this stage you've won two league titles in three years golden boot twice and then Ian Wright arrives and you must have been thinking do we need another striker <laughs> how was this explained to you when when Ian Wright joined the club well i mean i i'd seen Ian playing for for the Palace and uh, thinking he, he would be a perfect partner with his game. I just thought, yeah, I mean, it, it'd be great to get him. Although when when he came, as you say, we'd won the league and um, we'd just beaten Sheffield United 5-2, I think, at home. I got a couple of goals. Gaffer gave us a bit of a rollicking afterwards for easing off the gas because I think we were 5-0 up or 4-0 up at half-time. But anyway, then Ian came. I, I mean, I was developing a partnership with Kevin Campbell at that time which was good, which was going well but uh Ian came and obviously changed the dynamic a little bit uh and and, and I'm thinking this is this is going to be good but for whatever reason it, it just didn't click weird really with Ian because he was such a one-off such a maverick really he, he played on his instincts it was difficult to uh read him to anticipate where he was going to run and and under George we always uh practiced shadow play and People knew their jobs, where they should go at any given time. But you, you couldn't tame Ian in that regard. And I think George gave up after a bit once Ian had made a, a run that nobody was expecting and end up sticking the ball in the net. So he just let him get on with it. But it, it did have an effect on me. Uh, my conf- confidence gradually dipped to the point where it was it was on the floor, really. And my goal output fell off a cliff, which was so upsetting having been a, a regular goal scorer for, for all those years before and that was the most miserable time in my career yeah I mean you, you speak about it very openly in your book and, and say how it, it sort of as you say your confidence dropped did you feel that at the time and, and what could you do to arrest it or was it only really when you look back you feel that you needed to change things what what did you what were your emotions at the time well as I say I was I was just uh, it, it was a miserable time not only matches was I going into them with very little confidence, snatching at chances, but training too, it had become a bit of a chore. Um, I went to see a sports psychologist and 
he gave me one or two kind of pointers, but it didn't work. Um, I think now you'd give it a lot more attention. I mean, I didn't really speak to the gaffer too much about it. He mu- he must have wondered what was what was going on. He never approached you then about. No, well, he'd drop you. <laughs> That'd be about <laughs> it. <laughs> And he'd urge you, urge you to do better, but you, you never kind of had a heart to heart in a, in a human way, in 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 the way that perhaps you would now, uh, because we obviously look at the, the mental health side of things a lot more. I just regret that I wasn't able to fix it, and I, I didn't I didn't do better in that regard, and that you know my career kind of dribbled to a close in that fashion. Thankfully, the Cup Winners' Cup was a highlight in the middle of it, but. Um, you know, people say you shouldn't have regrets, but I can't help but regret that time when I, I couldn't fix it and I wasn't enjoying my football at all. And, and it is upsetting to look back on. Do you think it's, is it on you? Is it the, the way you performed? Or do you think the team was actually just set up differently? Were you, was it a case of you missing chances or were you, were you not just getting on the end of as many because of the way the team was set up? Well, yeah, it's easy to look elsewhere, isn't it? And to, to blame other things. We weren't playing with so much width. It was a more direct game, righty making runs over the top. And I think I, I looked elsewhere too much for a solution. Oh, you know, the crosses aren't coming in, this, that and the other. But you've got you've got to look in the mirror uh, and think, how can I fix this? What can I do? Uh, and maybe I didn't do that enough. I don't know. But uh, we, we, we had turned into a cup team and, and that was a disappointment, I think, for all of us who'd won the league. We, we never really challenged at the top. But because we had such a fantastic defence and we had Wrighty knocking them in, obviously, as I mentioned, it became 1-0 to the Arsenal and we were a tough team to beat in, in a one-off cup situation and hence the success we had. But I think any footballer will tell you he, want, he, he wants to be able to... Uh, challenge more more consistency uh, consistently and, and go for the title and you mentioned we became a cup team and uh, you didn't play in the the 93 coca-cola cup final but you did start the fa cup replay at sheffield wednesday of course well it must be great memories for you that night although not your your yellow card you got is that your only <laughs> book and you ever got was it in extra time that game it was i mean it still makes me laugh really that you know the fact that i just got the one book in and it wasn't it wasn't for the like most serious offense I went into a little tussle with Graham Hyde, their midfielder. He was only about five foot five, uh, Graham. And I've gone to the deck and I've just knocked the ball away with my hand to give myself time to get back up into position. And the refs booked me for ungentlemanly conduct. So that was my one and only. I, I had the letter that you get off the FA. I had that framed, <laughs> hung, in, hung in the toilet, you know. But uh, it was, uh, I, I would never be able to go through a career now uh, just getting booked once because. The amount of times we had to work hard as strikers at Arsenal and you know, sprinting across when the fullback got it to try and stop him from helping it up the line. And uh, so many times now, don't you, you see a striker put out his, his foot to block it and then the fullback's boot will follow through and he'll scream and roll around the floor and you'll get booked for it. Uh, many times I caught a centre half with my elbows, you know, drew blood plenty of times accidentally, but. You could get sent off for that now. I didn't. I didn't tend to argue with the ref. I didn't give him any back chat. Really, I just got on with it. So that's why I went through a career just getting booked once. Um, but I suppose pleased in the end just to get that one. And if you're going to get it, you might as well get it in a, in the cup final. Absolutely. And um, there's more silverware the next year. And again, this is down down to you. The the Palmer final in the Cup Winners' Cup final. Um, were you? Did you feel like the old 
Alan Smith for this game because Ian Wright w- was suspended. So all the focus again was on you. You're you're the guy up front. Did it feel like a bit of a roll, a, a throwback to a few years earlier? Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. Um, the onus was on me to hold the ball up uh, in a four-three-three system that we'd uh, adopted for Europe, um, having got mugged really in the European Cup by Benfica in '91. Gaffer wanted us more solid in midfield, so. I was I was through the middle and it would be uh, two from uh, Wrighty, Kev Campbell and, and Paul Merson. And obviously Wrighty being suspended, it was Merson, Kev funneling up and down. But yeah, I, I had a really solid game that night. The goal apart, I held it up. Everything I, I tried came off, a bit like Anfield in 89. Um, and it was rolling back the years, really, uh, especially when I, when I, when I hit that goal. Um, Unusually far out for me outside the box, but I, I struck it really crisply. I knew I'd hit it well, and then when the keeper crashed to the floor, I saw that it had rebounded off the inside of the post into the net. So fantastic moment, brilliant uh, to do that in the European final. Uh, but of course, we got so long to last after that, and we rode our luck. But again, that that defence, that back four, back five with, with Dave Seaman came to our rescue. A brilliant night. You know, and who'd have thought that Arsenal that would have been their, their last European trophy? Um, so it, it's proud, proud to be part of that. Yeah, and that must be your your favourite goal, is it? My favourite will always be my header at Anfield. Uh, yeah, it's, obviously it's more spectacular. Um, it, it looks better. It was it was uh, it was a nice goal, uh, and I think any footballer he wants to be able to perform when when the stakes are high. On, on the big stage and uh, I was really pleased that I could do that uh, on that night and at Anfield so yeah those two go- those two goals stand out those are the ones that people always talk about so it's nice then that end of that season did you feel like this can I can now kick, kick on again I can have a big season next season did you feel that that was going to be another turning point for you I don't know really I'm not sure what I felt because that the last season was that was your last season wasn't it the following season was, yeah, and then I began to uh, get pick up a, a few little niggling injuries, nothing nothing serious, but I'd, I'd, I'd rarely been injured for six, seven years at Arsenal. But uh, that, that didn't help either. You're on the treatment table. You can't, you can't get any momentum. So it was stop and start. As I say, I was vying with Kev Campbell for a place in the team. Um, and I'll never forget the day. At, it was at... Millwall at the New Den, FA Cup, third round day, blustery afternoon, rubbish match. It was a real scrap. And I was down by the corner flag and uh, it wasn't in a challenge. I I just put my leg out and I felt my cartilage tear, a torn cartilage. You're looking at four or five weeks maybe once you've had uh, the operation. But when they did go in, they saw there was bone damage. Then they tried to operate again stimulate bone growth um it just didn't work and uh so that january game was my last and gary lewin our physio always says it was the quickest time he can remember between the initial injury and announcement of retirement there was nothing really that could be done so uh it it, it all came to an end really quickly for me you stayed in football you moved well stayed loosely in football with the with the media side had that always been your 
um, intentional? Did you have to sort of, as you say, it happened so quickly, you had to sort of think of something quickly or did you have that in the back of your mind to do that, you, you, your, uh, your media work? The writing side I had in the back of my mind, I always thought that I wouldn't mind having a go at that because I'd, I'd had a decent education. I'd done my A-levels. I'd, I'd, I'd gone to university, but I only, I only uh, lasted a year before joining Leicester. I was doing modern languages, so kind of, you know, the, the language side of things appeal. The TV side, I never thought I'd be doing what I've done for 20-odd years, never in a million years, but it, that just developed. It's just how life can be sometimes. It takes you in odd directions, surprising ones. But I started writing straight away. I did some pieces for the Evening Standard. Michael Hart, the chief football writer, encouraged me to do it. I was also doing an Arsenal column, actually, for the Highbury and Islington Express. And so that, that, kind of, that was a good learning curve for me. Um, those early years and then I started writing for the Telegraph every week so that that was a that was a big buzz to be writing for such a famous publication as that and I was going to European Championships and World Cups you know reporting on finals and I had some brilliant times working for the Telegraph and and alongside that was um, my my work for Sky and got got into co-commentary and Again, a bit, like, a bit like the Golden Boot, uh, one of our, our lead match directors said, Alan, why don't you have a go at co-commentary? And I went, ah, no, people don't want to hear my whining, brummy tones. <laughs> I don't think I'd be any good at it. But he says, well, just have a go anyway. So I did, and uh, I'm still doing it. Um, and it, it, it's, been, it's been great. It's been great. Again, you get to go to some fantastic matches. I've done a couple of Champions League finals and... You know some some brilliant games in the Premier League, and uh, although I, I I was never suited to coaching, I was never really interested in that side of things. But I wanted to stop in football, so this is a wonderful way of doing it. Going along to to pack stadiums and and having that adrenaline because obviously the, there are nerves involved before you start talking to a certain extent. There's there's, there's a buzz. Um, nothing like being a footballer, but it, it's just brilliant to still be involved in the game. Alan, thanks, thanks a lot for your for your time today. I really appreciate it, and hopefully you'll be co-commentating on some more Arsenal magic moments in the near future. We look forward to it. Yeah, do hope so, Josh. Thanks for the chat. Enjoyed it, mate. Thank you. Our thanks to Alan for his time today, and we've got some more great guests lined up in the next few weeks. So to make sure the episodes automatically download to your device, be sure to subscribe to In Lockdown from your usual podcast provider. If you could leave a review and rating as well, that would really help us out. Thanks again to our partners at Lavazza. Remember, if you're in the UK, you can purchase your favourite coffee at lavazza.co.uk. So we'll be back next Tuesday when the one and only Jens Lehmann, goalkeeper for the Invincibles, will be reminiscing about his eventful Gunners career. Until then, thanks for listening. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 